Philippians chapter 2 starts out on the basis of the riches of the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ applied to your life. Is there any benefit in there? And you say, yes, there's benefit. There's great riches because of where I was as a beggar enslaved to sin. Now I've been freed and given life in Christ. And so he points to that as the basis for what he's going to call them to be. Call them to be. It's the basis. And there's this thing that when it comes to living life, we, we sang a song, a very simple song, very old, simple song. Not much theology in it. Okay? The morning when I rise, give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. And giving me Jesus means giving me the gospel. Giving me the forgiveness, the grace that I so desperately needed. May that be the basis of my life. Give me Jesus. And the, the beauty of the song, it takes you through the whole life. And I, I know some of you get tear, tearing up towards the end. And when I come to die, maybe you're older or maybe a loved one has passed away in faith or without faith. And, and you think about that and you think, Jesus is needed at the beginning of the day, but that at the end of life as well. Uh, and every day in between. And so on the basis of the Gospel, verse 1, which moves us uh, to uh, verse 2, where he talks about uh, a purposed unity in the church. A purposed unity, not an accidental unity. It means something we're pressing on and we're pressing for and we're working for. And, and I want to tell you, there's not um, a convenient unity anywhere. We just became friends. Uh, we were in a kindergarten class together. Uh, and we just liked each other. We both played kickball. We loved it. Uh, and we became unified, friends forever. I want to tell you, that might tie you together for a moment or for a year. But if you don't treasure unity and work for unity, it will not stick together. It will not hold together. It won't be the partnership uh, that will last for a lifetime. And he's calling on his church uh, most likely an issue in the church. Uh, this idea that we're not working together, we're not loving one another, we're not unifying under the message of the gospel, we're not listening uh, to God's word, we're having our own ideas. And uh, I, I want to tell you, there's the picture here is that we would treasure one another, that we would treasure one another, that we would lock arms and not let go, that we would not be able to say, you know, I'm glad they left. Glad they weren't there. I don't like sitting by that person. I don't like being with them. Hope they don't come. You know, I'm not working with them. I'll go if they don't go. Uh, I realize that that sounds like second grade, but I've heard it from adults. I've heard it from people that aren't just, you know, teenagers or millennials, right? Two categories you can really rip on those days. If you, if you really want to get someone like, uh, who's like late teens and early twenties, you just call them a millennial and they'll correct you every time. I am not a millennial. And then you just follow up with, well, you're acting like one right now. And that just burns them. I'm just telling you personal experience. Anyways, um, anyways, as you look to God's word, sometimes it's calling us to do something different. It's calling us to move 
from where we want to be and where it's natural for us to be. And I want to tell you what's natural for you to be and for me to be is selfish. And I want to tell you, selfishness kills unity. And God's called us to unity. And so he goes right back uh, to attack uh, what the problem is. Okay? I, I've called you to be unified. I've called you to work together in partnership in the gospel. And so he calls us to something different. And so this morning, I, I want to highlight what I spoke on three weeks ago. And it's this idea spoken of in God's Word and uh, the translation I'm using this morning, the English Standard Version, of selfish ambition. I realize <clears throat> that selfish ambition is connected with, in our passage this morning, if you look down at it, verse 3, it says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. And you, you could use those words, selfishness and pride, or there's a bunch of other words that kind of define that. And it's not just that all sin comes out of selfishness or all sins come out of selfishness and pride, but those are two of the big motivations, the big motivations for sin and sin that separates unity. Separates unity in the church and it separates unity in marriages. Unity in marriages. I don't need to tell you, do I? Uh, you all know that selfishness and pride in marriages isn't very good. It's not very helpful. It doesn't promote uh, this health and unity and partnership that God designed uh, when He created Adam and Eve. And so this morning, we're going to talk about selfishness and really the big deal. It's not that we couldn't talk about pride too, and I don't think I'm going to talk about it next week, but I might. Um, but we're going to focus in on selfishness here this morning because I feel like it relates to us where we are today. Part of it uh, is that... Um, you know, we're human, we're human, and I want to say fallen human. If you look at uh, the book of Genesis, there wasn't this selfishness and pride in the garden. Uh, that came as a result of sin. And then it's uh, because of being a human in a sinful world, we are all selfishness and selfish and proud. But what, I'm, what I want to point out to you is that we are a country that loves uh, and cherishes selfishness. We think it's the way it runs. I really don't want to talk about this this morning, this whole socialism, capitalism thing. Uh, but I, I think they're both wrong, okay? I think you can find both of them in the Bible uh, as something that's good and bad, okay? Um, I think socialism would be a great idea if no one was selfish and proud. Okay? I think it would be a great idea. Unfortunately, everyone is. So it won't work. Okay. Terrible. Um, and capitalism, you know, what's great about capitalism? Everyone is selfish and proud. And so it gets them up in the morning and it's terrible too. That's terrible too. What was I talking about? The Bible. Uh, our nation, our nation, um, the idea of thinking of yourself as number one it's it's part of the fabric of, of who we are it's what we talk about it's what our politicians do and our 
celebrities or sports people, there's always this thing of like being number one. Right? Being number one. And then uh, where do we live in the great state of California? Uh, who, you know, out of all the 50 states, I, I think there's no greater arrogant pride that comes out of our great state. This idea that we're on the forefront and we got better ideas and uh, we we think of things that no one's ever thought of. Sometimes when we think about those things, we should say, well, why has no one ever thought of these things? Because they're dumb. Uh, but but th- this idea that we pride ourselves in that, we pride ourselves in that. We're, we're part of a great country and we're number one and we're part of a great state that we're, we're number one. And, and I, forgive me, but Kern County, Tehachapi, Bear Valley Springs, we got some of that built in there too. And this idea that selfishness and I'm great, like, like this feeds, this feeds the sin of selfishness. Sometimes we don't think it's a big deal. Uh, selfish, like my selfishness is somehow self-contained, right? That, uh, uh, I, I'm just self being selfish. Just leave me alone. I'm being selfish over here by myself. I'm not hurting anybody. I want you to think about that this morning. Um, first of all, I want to focus in on this, this word, selfish ambition. It's one word, uh, in the Greek. And I want us to, to consider it this morning. Um, in different translations, uh, it translates that word strife, um, hostility, rivalry. Okay. I mentioned this a, a few weeks ago when I preached about this, that this word, comes from a day laborer, a day laborer. And uh, initially I kind of go, day laborer. I don't get how that would be connected so quickly to this idea of selfish ambition. Well, think about if you've ever worked for a day, worked for a day. You made a, uh, you got a job, somebody needed an extra hand. They said, I'll pay you. And you went and worked for them. What was your commitment to them? For a day. And why were you there? For the money. If any of you haven't been day laborers, it's great. It's great. It's awesome. And I want to tell you why. Uh, it's this idea that you do something and they hand you money. And you can quickly connect. I did that for this. Uh, direct deposit doesn't help you with that, right? In fact, you, you know, some of it's spent before you even see it. Like you don't even see it in your account. It's just gone. Where'd it go? Why did I work? You know, I didn't get anything. Uh, yeah, some of you get paid in a, a, a check every week. That's awesome. You know, there's something great about that. I work. Here's your check. Think about uh, how, you know, so day labor, there's that. Well, uh, when you get a job, you get paid by the hour or you get paid by the job. A, a day laborer, hey, I'm going to pay you this much for the day. And then you say, well, I, I'm going to pay you by the hour. I'm going to pay you $20 an hour and you're going to get these many hours, and then you get that check. There's a little bit more commitment. You have a real job or something like that. And then there comes a day where the boss calls you in the office and he says this, I'm going to put you on salary. I'll put you on salary. And some of you who have been on salary, you know that there's a, there's a, that's a trap. That's a trap right there. They're saying, we really want to work you hard, and we don't want to pay you for it. We'll just pay you for 40 hours a week. We're going to ask 60 or so, but, uh, uh, you know, and we're just going to say, you must be slow. You're not getting all your work done, you know. Uh, 
But they put you on salary, but there's a sense of like you're more a part of the company when you get to that place where you're going to get a paycheck and it's going to be this much. And then there's other things too. There's like profit sharing or, or, you know, bonus at the end of the year, end of the job. And that what they're saying is you're part of the company and you're part of the great thing that we're doing. And then there's maybe that last step where they say, we want to make you a partner. We want to make you a partner. Uh, when you're a partner, when you're a partner, especially when your name is on the, you know, there's this weird feeling that um, you can't complain about your boss anymore. You you can't uh, treat it as a company, you know, big corporate company, blah blah blah. I'm gonna stick it to the man or whatever, you know. The, this idea that there's this this entity out there that doesn't have a personality and you don't care about, now it's, you're the one. This idea that you're just working for a moment to get what you want, that was the picture of a day laborer. And that there's this temporary commitment to doing something that's used as a motivation uh, to making decisions and living life. This word, uh, um, I want to point out some other scriptures, and forgive me for flipping around too much, but turn to Romans chapter 2, starting in verse 6. And I want to show you the other places uh, that this word is used, or a form of this word, but I also want to show you how uh, what it teaches us. And we're kind of going to get a, a theology or a doctrine this morning. I think that was my title, Doctrine of Selfishness. And so I, I want you to think in terms of most of the time we think of selfishness, uh, maybe we wouldn't say this, but we'd say, hey, selfishness is a great way to make decisions. What do I want to do? You ask your kids, uh, what do you want to do? What do you want out of life? Where do you want to go to college? What do you want to be when you get big? Where, where do you want to live? What do you want to do? And we think that's a good idea. And I tell you, it's not. It's not helpful. It's a bad first question. As we look at this, we realize that this idea that we look at life and say, I'm going to do whatever benefits me immediately. Immediately. That's a bad place to make decisions. Uh, Romans chapter 2, um, as you look at the Scripture, these words are... Uh, this particular word is kind of peppered throughout uh, the scripture, some in lists. And uh, as, as we look at this one, uh, it's kind of on its own, but uh, we'll come to some lists that it's helpful to think through as well. Uh, the, the first passage that I want to look at, you're going to see in this verse or in this word, it's used for those who don't believe in Jesus, who aren't saved. Who are going to hell, okay? Uh, verse, uh, starting at verse six. And he will render, uh, to each one according to his works to those who by, uh, patience and well doing seek the glory and honor and immortality. He will give eternal life. But for those who are, there it is, self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. Think about that. That selfishness is a big deal 
and really the mark, the mark of an unbeliever. It infiltrates their whole life. Some of you have struggled with the idea in, in biology the, of uh, survival of the fittest. And I, I want to tell you, it's the obvious answer if you're an unbeliever. It's the obvious answer. Not just uh, that for biology, but for everything. It's the idea that uh, the strongest will survive, and that's good. That's good. And that's what I'm going to do in my life. I, I, I hear about it through history. I look at it in uh, you know, species and this and that, survival of the fittest, and that's what I'm going to do. But I want to tell you, that's the mark of unbelief. Uh, this self-seeking, this self-seeking is connected to disobeying God. That God has called us to something different. He has saved us from this. Uh, given us His Word, caused us to know the truth that we might obey it. Okay? And so I just want to tell you, it's the mark of unbelief. I'm not saying when we uh, are selfish that that marks us as an unbeliever. I'm just saying that that an unbeliever is selfish. It's selfish. It's the mark of their life. And you say, well, I know a lot of people, I want to tell you, that deeply rooted in who they are as a motivation. We're talking about motivations this morning. A motivation is selfishness of what can I get. It might be something, it might not be money. It might be some kind of notoriety. It might be some kind of position that would bring them in. It might just be the praise of men and women. But it's there's a there's a motive there that's not others, it's self. Okay, and this is uh, connected to unbelief. Okay, uh, as we move on, turn over to Second Corinthians chapter twelve. Getting to know our Bible a little bit today. Got Romans, got First Corinthians. After First Corinthians is what? Second Corinthians. You got it. Second Corinthians twelve. 2 Corinthians 12. Uh, this is one of those lists, okay? And so in verse 20, it says this. And Paul's talking about the, the church at Corinth and, and whether he'd come or whether he wouldn't come. Or, but he says this, for, for I fear perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish, that uh that that you may be not found as I wish, that perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. And uh, this was a great fear of the church planter as he thought of the church that he gave himself to and he saw established, that his fear is these things would be present, these sinful things would be present in the church. As you think about this, um, I, I want to tell you that uh, in the midst of that, it's just quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility. That's the word. That's the word. And I, I find it interesting. There's these different translations of strife or rivalry or selfish ambition. What the translators are struggling about is this. That my selfishness affects you. 
My selfishness affects you. And I'll just break this to you right now. Your selfishness always affects somebody else. You get it? It's, it can't be contained. Your selfishness, uh, you know, we joke about it. We just say, well, I'm just going to be selfish here. Oh, you're going to hurt somebody. You're going to hurt somebody. And you say, no, 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 I'm just going to be selfish. I'm going to indulge myself. I want to tell you that your selfishness always hurts somebody else. It creates a bill that somebody else has to pay. That you somehow are letting someone down or you're taking from them in such a way that they're going to pay for it. I was encouraged uh, a few weeks ago, a guy I went to school with, he was preaching on the book of Jonah. I listened to him online and he was talking about the cost of Jonah's sin. And he talked about Jonah not wanting to go to Nineveh and not wanting to do what God wanted him to do and his disobedience his selfish disobedience says, I'm not going to them. It cost. And he started listing out the cost. And he says, you can't even tally it up, even financially. And he pointed, I thought this was so interesting. He says, Jonah, he's out on this ship and there's cargo on that ship and there's sailors on that ship and there's a ship and it gets in the storm. And what happens? The cargo gets thrown into the sea. Why did the cargo get thrown into the sea? Because of Jonah's sin. Do you get it? His sin of selfishness and wanting to do his own thing, it affected probably people that he never met. Think about that. Your, your selfishness has ripple effects. I can, I can tell you, I can give you the names of the people that you're self. It's your wife. Your selfishness affects your wife. It affects uh, your husband. It affects your kids, your grandkids, your co-workers, the other people in your church. That's what selfishness does. It has a it has a cost. It extends out. I don't know what I was talking about. Anyways, um, that that was the Second Corinthians chapter twelve verse twenty. In the midst of Paul going and checking on this church, one of the sins he was fearful of is this idea, this, this picture, that this hostility that they were going to have because of their selfishness. Turn to Galatians chapter 5. Some of you know this passage well. It's a great passage, important one, when it comes to how to figure out how to be a Christian. And it's the idea of walking by the Spirit. Walking by the Spirit. Uh, but... The, the opposite thing of walking in the Spirit is what most of us do. All, all unbelievers do this all the time. Believers, we struggle between the two, doing what we should do, walking in the Spirit, or walking in the flesh, the best that we can do apart from Jesus. Okay? It's not very good either. It's not the best. Uh, I say the best. That was wrong. Uh, anyways, um, verse 16, uh, chapter 5, verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And then he says this, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. The desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For they are opposed to each other to keep uh, from doing the things you want to do. 
But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. They're obvious. You can see them. What are they? Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger. anger, And there it is. Rivalries. And there it is. The idea of rivalries. And uh, is selfishness a big deal? Is the idea of, of wanting something at the cost of somebody else, is it a big deal? I don't know. But I'm looking at this list of things that go to walking in the flesh, and what does it say? It says sexual immorality. Is that a big deal? Yeah. Oh, so it's in the list of these things? Yeah. Uh, it, it goes on to talk about um, impurity, sensuality, rivalries, dissension, uh, divisions, envy, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I love that. Things like these. Give you a bad, bad list of diverse things and other things like that. And there's more. Yes, it's a big deal. And for us to think that selfishness in the church, selfishness in our marriage, selfishness in our home with our family, that's, that's okay. It's not a big deal. We're wrong. We're wrong. It's a work of the flesh. The flesh that's been ruined by sin. Sinful uh, in the way that it operates, and weak, and cannot please God. Cannot please God. The problem with the flesh is this: the the main characteristic of the flesh is that it's weak and incapable of doing what God wants us to do. And I, I want to tell you, your selfishness is giving in to your weakness, and it puts you in a place that you cannot you cannot do what God wants you. That was Galatians chapter 5. Uh, turn to uh, James chapter 3. I asked you earlier. Now I'm telling you. Some of you are fading on me. James chapter 3. James chapter 3 is a passage on wisdom from above, wisdom from below. And there's a difference. Obviously, it, it of course there's a difference, but, but sometimes we look at our own wisdom, what we can get in this world as true wisdom, and we neglect what God has to say. And we, we sometimes go, I don't know the difference. I don't know what wisdom is from above or wisdom from below. And as it was in the works of the flesh, the works of the Spirit, it's obvious. And it's obvious by the, what it produces. Um, and I want to tell you, I want to just say it this way. Your selfishness brings disaster to everything it touches. Everything that it's a part of. It's not just disaster, but it's a tool of the devil. In James chapter 3, verse 14, this is what it says. This is what God says. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, there it is, selfish ambition, in your hearts do not boast and, and be false with the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Okay? Selfishness, this idea that I'm going to do what I want to do and you're going to pay for it, or I don't care who pays for it, it's demonic. It's demonic. And, and, 
it says that there will be every kind of disorder, every kind of vile practice. It will produce that. In verse 14 it says, but, it, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts... Uh, sorry, I got confused here. Um, yeah, we'll just stop there. That, that passage uh, gives the other side too, that the wisdom that is from above is, is beautiful. It's beautiful. And, and as I think about this, as I think about this, what, what I want to highlight for you is this. That, um, do, do, do you want the workers of Satan in your home? Just be selfish. Just give in to your selfishness. Just say it's okay. Do, do, do you want them in your home? Do, do you want them in your parenting? You, you want them in your kids' life? You, you know, we worry about our kids and say, oh, just, you know, let them be selfish. Look out for number one. That's what you should do. Don't care about those other kids at school. Just care about yourself. Care about yourself succeeding. You know, step on people, push them out of the way. Survival of the fittest. That's the way to do it. I want to tell you, that's a wrong way to raise kids. And you're welcoming the enemy into your home. You say, well, what about in marriage? Maybe even worse, right? Uh, I'm not getting what I want. She's not making me feel the way I want to be feel. Like I, I don't like it. They're not being nice to me. So, so I'm not getting what I want. It sounds like self, selfish ambition. And if for you to get what you want, there's a cost to somebody else. I want to tell you, that's the mark of selfish ambition. You're allowing, you're allowing the enemy to part of your marriage relationship. I tell you, it's true in the church as well. Is if you say, well, you know, I really like this kind of music or I like that kind of music. And I, I wish we had a Bible study, you know, at two o'clock at one, you know, two o'clock on Tuesdays, every other Tuesday, except during this season. You know, uh, I want to tell you, forget about what you want. Forget about it. That selfishness is going to get you into a trap of listening to the wisdom that's from below. Turn back to the book of Philippians, but chapter 1. Chapter 1, uh, this, this concept of selfish ambition, Paul's already spoken of. And he's talking about these different preachers, and he's in prison. He's not able to preach as he wants and go where he wants. He's, he's stuck. And there's these other preachers, some of which are doing it, and they're going, I gotta pick up the baton for Paul. I gotta do what, uh, in more so and, and honor, uh, what Paul has taught us and the God that he follows. I follow him too. And they, they do that and they preach the gospel. But there's some that are doing it and saying, here's my opportunity for fame now that Paul's been crippled. And, and in the book of Philippians chapter one, uh, you see, uh, this word used again. And and as we see this word used again, uh, it t- tells us something, and I may have missed it when I preached it before, but it talks about the motive of love and hate for one another. Ver- verse 17, I'm sorry. Yeah, I guess we'll just look at 17. 
Um, no, we won't. We'll look at 16 too. Actually, 15 was those those numbers are really small. God's word says this: As some indeed preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. There it is. Uh, but others of goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then, uh, only in every way and pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. It says the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition. And, and, and and as I look at that, I go, that, that was their motive. That was their motive for preaching. But, but what's the other motive? What's the other motive? Um, as you look at it, verse 16, it says, the latter do it out of love. The other motive, you, you have self, this selfish ambition, rivalry, uh, selfish, I'm going to do what I want to do at the cost of others. There's that motive. But what's the other motive? Love. God's kind of love. God's kind of love. The love that says, I will sacrifice for you. I will serve you. I will do for you what you cannot do for yourself. I will serve you. Motives to determine whether it's love or hate, I want to tell you, when your selfishness is driving you, you hate the other person. You hate them. You know why? Because there's no room for them. Because you're in love with yourself. You're in love with what you want. I want to tell you, uh, you, you want to flip that around. You don't want to hate others. You want to look at them and say, I love them. I love them. Well, back to Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Um, what's the basis of all this? Verse 1, right? What's verse 1? It's the gospel. The gospel that you didn't deserve. And so I, I want to give you some words here that maybe this is the advanced lesson. Maybe it's not. Maybe maybe we can't get it yet. But maybe I, I just want to say it, okay? Um, when we are selfish, when we are selfish, we are thinking, we are thinking that we merit or we deserve entitled to the best position the best position and and when we are selfish we're saying i'm i'm great and i need what is best and it's appropriate that i determine what's best for me that's what selfishness says but it is it's one step further than that it says that i have the ability to look upon others and determine whether I need to serve them or not. Whether they're worthy of my service. Whether they're worthy of me foregoing what I want to get. I want to tell you that because of the gospel, because of the gospel, We've realized we are not worthy. We, we don't have the merit for it. We are not entitled to anything. We are granted something that is totally based upon the grace of God. 
That's what we're given in the gospel. And so for us to be selfish isn't the right response. What is the right response? Well, the right response you see in that same verse is humility. But it's not just humility. As we go on, we're going to see the picture of Jesus Christ serving, serving. And you say, oh, I hate serving. If you hate serving, you don't understand the gospel. If you will not serve, you only serve yourself, you're lost in self-worship. He has saved you. He has saved you and made you rich beyond compare. And so that we no longer cling to and fight for the survival of the fittest and we've got to grab for ourselves glory and honor. Like We don't do that anymore. Why? Because He's given us all that we need. He's given us all, but it's in Him. We'll go on to see that this is all because of Jesus. And, and what, what this goes, I, I got so much more to say. Uh, debating. Now I'm just going to plow through. This is going to go to, I hope, hope you don't have a pot roast in the oven or anything like that. Um, no, uh, I'll just say some things quickly. First of all, this, uh, sin has a cost. Sin has a cost. It, it does. And it's other people to pay it. Okay. That's what it is. And so, so sin, the sin of selfishness needs to be replaced. What's the antidote? What's the corresponding thing? Uh, it's service. Selfishness needs to be replaced with service. You're going to see that in, in the next few verses. I want to tell you that your, your sins of selfishness, what are they? They're, they're myriad of them. Let me, let me say uh, a few. Uh, wasting money. Wasting money. It's a sin. It's not something you should do. It's a sign of selfishness. Overspending. Maybe the, the idea of saying, I, I just need it. I have to have it. Or, or, or for some of you, I want to say it's the other side. You're being cheap with others while they're in need. You're, you're saving and you're saying, I just need to save more money. I just need to save more money. And you see, you see uh, needs in the lives of people around you and you go, forget it. I'm not doing it. It's my money. I want to tell you, why has God blessed you with money if it's not to spend? in service of others. Maybe for you, it's some kind of sexual sin. Pornography, going out and outside the bonds of marriage or even in the bonds of marriage, the idea that, that you would somehow say, it's all about me. I want to tell you, there's a cost there. Drunkenness. Uh, some of you struggle with drunkenness. I don't know who you are. Uh, you avoid the topic. You don't want to tell me about it. Well, some of you, you're getting drunk. I want to tell you, getting drunk is a sin. It's a sin. Don't do it. It, it, you say, well, it's only every once in a while. I want to tell you, your sin of selfishness that leads to drunkenness, there's a price to pay. There's a price to pay. Chances are your wife and kids, your husband, kids, your family, your grandkids, they're paying the price. And you say, well, how is that? We can talk about that later, but it's probably a, a, a severe price. Some of us eat too much. There's a price to pay for that. Not just about the food, but it's about what it does to your family. Some of us are lazy. That laziness, you say, well, somebody else will get it. Somebody else will pay the price. Real quickly, real quickly. Seven things. For a mindset that guards against selfishness. Seven things. Here it is. 
First one is this. Remember the self, the seriousness of selfishness. It's not a joke. It's not a joke. It's serious. Number two. Remember that selfishness is a sin that costs others. Remember that selfishness is a sin that costs others. Number three. Remember that adult selfishness has a greater cost because more people depend on you and pay the price. Think about that. I think about dads here today. Dads, we got to get it together. Cost too much for a wife and kid. Cost too much. Number four. Remember to think about others, not self. There's this obvious thing that we already think of ourselves. But to tell ourselves, hey, I need to think about others. I need, I need to be others focused. That's what my life needs to look like. Number five, remember the fix for selfishness is service. And I just say this, trade this for that, right? You see selfishness in your life, get busy serving. Number six, remember service is based on your humility in light of the gospel, not on the merit of the one served. Don't go around uh, putting people on scales and heights and this and that and say, are they worthy to be served? I want to tell you, Jesus, when He went to the cross, He didn't ask the question, are they worthy to be served? The answer was no, we were not. We were deserving punishment, and yet He served us nonetheless. And lastly, number seven, just remember Jesus. Just remember Jesus. Next week, uh, is, is we're talking about Jesus. We're going to be talking about His example of service. His example of humility um, is where we're going. Thank you for hanging in there with me. God, thank you uh, for the richness of Your Word. Um, God, help us with this. Mark us uh, with this topic of selfishness. Give us uh, grace to repent. Uh, help us to be honest with our, our, our spouses, our children, uh, different people that we've been selfish with. And God, help us to see ourselves as you do. And may you bring about the change that we so desperately need. Thank you for your church in Jesus' name.